It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by ProServe PR Marketing, a Chicago public relations and marketing firm with legal PR practice areas covering family law, litigation, and intellectual property. Please show your support for our programming by visiting and clicking the Like button on our social media pages. First, we have the Law Talk Radio Facebook page, and second, the ProServe PR Marketing and Litigation page. You can also listen to any of our episodes on demand. You can easily find those episode links and on the media releases we publish for each episode. You can also visit ProServePR.com and use the embedded radio show player on our Law Talk radio page right on our website. Check out uh, some of our recent links and articles while you listen. I want to also let you know that support for Law Talk Radio comes from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Today's title is Confronting Passive-Aggressive Behavior with Beverly Tarr. Domestic violence does not always have to leave a mark. Passive-aggressive behavior is a menace to the process of dispute resolution among families moving through divorce or separation. The children of passive-aggressive parents can learn negative traits and suffer among work and friend groups in the future. Spotting these behaviors requires open communication, and Beverly Tarr is a mediator who can explain why. Beverly Tarr specializes in all aspects of divorce mediation and has conducted over 600 mediations with 95% of cases reaching agreement. Her practice covers every aspect of divorce and or separation, including child custody, parenting time, and all the financial matters. She is an accredited mediator for the Center for Effective Dispute Resolution, the Center for Conflict Resolution, and the Mediation Training and Consultation Institute in Divorce Family Mediation, and has received further specialized training in post-decree cases. She appears in publications and is regularly asked to speak at mediation seminars and conferences as a specialist in this field. We do have a great show for you this afternoon. We open up to callers. If you have a question or comment, of course, our shows are always neutral and objective. Telephone call uh, can be received at 917-889-9732 and then press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is 917-889-9732. By way of short disclaimer, this is a general information and entertainment-based program and the advice shared on this show does not constitute professional legal advice. Communication with licensed attorneys on our shows does not give rise to client relationships. ProServe PR marketing does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. And finally, all callers remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Now, just a taste of the topics we're going to cover in our four-segment program spanning an hour this afternoon. We're first going to talk in the first 15 minutes about identifying passive-aggressive behavior. In our second segment, we'll talk about interspousal communication and the impact of passive-aggressive conduct. In our third segment, we'll talk about being role models for children and teaching them the communication tools they need to succeed. Finally, in our fourth segment, we'll talk about recommendations and best practices in working with a passive-aggressive troublemaker and how to steer them and everyone else in the right path. So without further ado, I welcome my guest, Beverly Tarr. 
Hello, good evening. Beverly, thank you for uh, offering your valuable time to be with us today and talk about this very important topic. Um, well, in just a little bit of a lead-in, we were both at uh, at a seminar. You were a panelist, and we had talked a little bit about best interest of the child standards uh, last month. And uh, the pa- in the context of talking about domestic violence, and of course this is April, and April is um, a Child Violence Prevention Month, and I want to suggest that not all violence has a physical mark, and I suggest that it's very hard to spot and deal with, but passive-aggressive behavior is a form of domestic violence as far as I see it. Uh, there are probably differences of opinion in addressing that, but I'd like to just start out by asking you to tell us a little bit about you, your practice, and um, what you can share with us about spotting what it is as passive-aggressive behavior and also throwing it out there that not everybody knows what this is just by the title. Okay, well, thank you very much um, for that lead. Uh, I am a a specialist divorce mediator. That's what I do day in and day out. Um, In terms of what passive-aggressive behavior um, really is, it's a form of pent-up anger, and it manifests itself in many different ways. And you'll remember at the uh, Best Interests of the Children uh, seminar that I was a panelist on, Uh, The reason that passive-aggressive behavior uh, was brought up was because we were talking about domestic abuse in general. And domestic abuse takes many different forms. Domestic violence is just one of them. Uh, And then we were leading on talking about passive-aggressive behavior because uh, passive-aggressive behavior uh, can be emotional abuse, both to the spouse but also to the children uh, witnessing it or actually being subjective to passive-aggressive behavior. Uh, You then asked me what actually is uh, passive-aggressiveness, and and passive-aggression is a deliberate and um, masked way, really, of expressing uh, covert feelings uh, of anger. The word passive is used in terms of how it is delivered, but the word aggression is the, is the thing that we really need to focus on because it's the, the anger part of it. Uh, there was a great, before I was um, uh, going on air with you, uh, I was uh, looking up uh, some information and I thought uh, one word to describe passive aggression that I thought was, was brilliant, the phrase, it was called the angry smile. And I thought that was a very um, evocative way of describing actually what this is um, because often people don't, it's not a blatant form of abuse, passive aggressiveness, but it's very damaging. So I hope that helps some listeners to understand what the, the actual meaning of the term is. Let's have some uh, examples, uh, things that people might um, cue in because I think there are a lot of people who know what we're talking about but just haven't caused to learn the label. Um. Well, I, I deal with uh, a plethora of different uh, people, different backgrounds, um, and there's a great phrase my mother used to say, never judge a marriage unless you're in it, uh, and oh so true, also never judge a divorce unless you're in it. And the thing with um, passive-aggressive people is that it can manifest itself in, in different ways. Uh, and you've asked me for um, examples. Uh, one is often called the silent treatment. I had uh, a couple in here and 
she had described to me behavior whereby her husband had for several weeks ignored her. Um, she didn't know why. She kept asking him what she'd done. She had told me that this was a behavior that he had shown on numerous occasions before uh, and that she felt that he was a, a passive aggressive person. And when I was talking to her, I was asking her you know, other examples. She said he would often blame her for things of which she, she didn't even know she'd done. Um, she even questioned whether they had even happened. So there is the silent treatment, um, which can often be a way that a passive-aggressive person um, will manifest their behavior. Uh, mumbling is another way of doing it, never really answering people straight out. They often blame the other person for um, particular behavior. And uh, this particular lady who was describing to me the years of which she had been uh, at the end of this silent treatment, the reason that she eventually decided to get the divorce is because one day the husband turned around and uh, said to the five-year-old son, that he was no longer going to speak to him because his behavior wasn't acceptable. And the husband did not speak to this boy for several days. And she said, for her, that was the straw that broke the camel's back because she had been on the receiving end, but she wasn't prepared to now see her son go down that route. Mm. Mm. So silent treatment is one, mumbling and not answer. I mean, these are... These are all, they all seem like very, like, obstructionist uh, blocks to communication. I mean, intending, but it's, it's, it's kind of bothersome that the person always on the other end doesn't realize it's happening. Uh, and I think, I think that's why this is, it's a very subtle and silent form of abuse in itself. There are other ways that people will show that behavior. Um, forgetfulness is a great excuse often used by someone, such as forgetting important dates, such as birthdays or anniversary ways. Uh, it, it's a way to indirectly inflict uh, pain or punish a spouse or partner without deliberately saying, I'm not getting you a birthday present. They'll say, I forgot. Um, when it, we deal with uh, relationships and children in uh, the divorce setting in the mediation room, something that's very important is to find out whether people can actually get to where they're supposed to get on time. When children go through a divorce, they need the security and stability to know that their mum or dad is going to turn up when they say they're going to turn up because they're feeling vulnerable and insecure. Something sometimes that a passive-aggressive person will do will be deliberately uh, late. Uh, I've seen that on quite a few occasions because they know that they are manipulating the situation. And by that very nature of being late, they'll apologize. But they know what they're doing, and it's a very direct and deliberate act. So obstructionism. Yeah. And, I mean, obstructionism seems to, you know, and it seems for the purpose of satisfying a feel of control. That's what it sounds like. Uh, Absolutely. There is there is definitely a controlling element here, which ironically uh, is never perceived by the person who is the passive aggressive um, partner in the relationship. Uh, quite the quite the contrary. Uh, they often feel 
disempowered and unable to change things. They feel that they're the ones being um, controlled. They often see themselves as cooperative and they view the spouse as um, controlling and, um, and assertive. So it, it's a real, um, it's, it's very confusing because what actually how things play out is really not perceived and that is often what gets them into my room in the divorce because communication between the parties is just so poor. Wow. You know, as I was looking at some notes on this myself this morning, it seems that one of the overwhelming feelings that I have is seeing so many people I know who have some of these tendencies and humility and compassion is what I'd like my theme of our talk from my end at least. How do we find, you know, using our humility to use compassion and help uh, these people because, you know, the goal, especially in family law, is to work through and get to a better place for the future. Um, but it just seems that unless you address some of these uh, issues, and I guess that's my, my question for you. Um, how pervasive are these issues that you deal with in the room of mediation? Uh, is this something that is fixable in the short term, or by identifying some of these passive aggressions, are you just angering the person? Very good question. Um, firstly, I, I cannot and, and don't even attempt to try and get some kind of personality metamorphosis in my room. I wish I could. Um, and I think when I, when I have clients in there, it's very important for them to realize that divorcing someone is not going to do that. They are not going to change the person they are. However, I am a huge supporter, and I spoke about this, and I speak about this at a lot of presentations that I do. I'm a huge supporter and believer in therapy. Whatever form that may take, whether it be family therapy, individual therapy, with a therapist who the person has a rapport with and respects and feels that they can open up to. Because the work that I do within the room is to get these parties from A to B, in the least conflict possible. In order for that to be effective, they need to be able to make informed decisions. And um, the, the way that I do mediation is, as you know, Nick, I try and get divorces done in two days. I do the parenting agreement in one day. We start at 9.30 till we're, and go till we're done. And then parties come back usually three or four weeks later and we do the financial aspects of um, their divorce. I don't have the time, and my background, as you know, is as a lawyer, not as a psychologist or psychotherapist. I do not have the time to work through the issues that these people usually have um, gained or, or, or been exposed to as a child. Um, there's a lot of empirical research to show that Passive-aggressive behavior um, usually is as a consequence of something happening uh, in their childhood. Either it's learnt behavior from parents who've been exhibiting passive-aggressive behavior, or uh, the person in my room can often uh, either model that, that behavior or indeed behave in a way they perceive is the opposite reaction, having lived with a violent parent. So they go the other way, so to speak. 
Now, the way that I deal with any kind of behavior, whether it's violent behavior, you know, aggressive, shouting at someone, or whether it's passive aggressiveness, one of the important things to do is to never uh, condescend that behavior, never patronize that behavior, uh, never call them out on that behavior, because at the end of the day, I'm trying to get them from A to B. And, and one way to do that is by identifying the emotion that they are feeling. It is a very important part of mediation that the parties feel heard. Now, with a passive-aggressive person, much of the problem is they suppress their anger. So what you're getting is that anger showing itself in various other forms, not in what someone can usually blatantly see as anger. So what I will do is I have, first of all, both of the parties come to my room for a free no-obligation consultation that usually lasts about 45 minutes, but to be honest, it's as long as they need in order to understand my process. The fact that they are both coming into the room together is, without them knowing it, the first start to trying to get to an agreement. I do have cases that are, are mandated to me from the court, but most of my cases, people are coming here voluntarily. So the fact that they've been able to come to even fact-find about mediation is a good start. And what I say to them after we've discussed the process, I said there are two questions that you need to go away and think about. Don't give me the answer now. One, is mediation the process you want to adopt? And two, am I the person that you would like to help you with that? And you both need to agree on both those issues. Don't worry about anything else for the time being because they're overwhelmed by different emotions. Just go away and think about those two questions. Each of them then have to confirm in writing individually that they wish to move ahead with the mediation, and we then canvas dates, and I send out to them what's called a formal procedure and mediation agreement form, which is a seven-page document outlining what their obligations are and mine. It's got a confidentiality clause in it. And in that, at page two, there is a section that asks each of them to provide me with an interest statement. And an interest statement is outlining to me where each of them are coming from. And the reason I ask for that, and I give them guidelines to you know, try and make it three to four pages, um, try and avoid inflammatory language, but obviously don't shy away from important issues or how you feel. The reason I do that is because it's very important for these parties to feel heard. And it's also cathartic sometimes for them to write it down. And with the finite period that I have, I need to make sure that we are moving forward with the process. Because the only way that I get these parties to agree at the end is by recognizing what their needs and interests are. And if they spend the first five or six hours venting, I'm not going to get to their needs and interests and identifying them. So by having the first agreement that they're going to come to mediation. They've agreed on me. That's two things they've agreed on already. I've exchanged interest statements between the two of them. If there's anything confidential, then they uh, send that to me individually and mark it accordingly. And then what I do 
is I have both parties in the room to start with. Now, I do have some people, Nick, who say to me, uh, I'm not prepared to sit in a room uh, with my spouse. And I said, then we're not going to be able to do this mediation because you, I need to run this process exclusively. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, you're going to make these decisions exclusively. I will not be making these decisions for you, but I need to run this process. And the reason why that's so important, um, and indeed in any kind of behavior, not just passive-aggressive behavior, if the parties run the process, they are going to just simply go back in their communication cycle that they have always been in. Right. And I have to break that. So I get them both in the room together, and we do a brainstorming. They don't have to speak to each other. I mean, I have people who have been living in the same house. I had one case. The parties were living in the same house and hadn't spoken to each other for three months. They just text each other. And there were children in the house. And I don't need them to speak to each other at that initial brainstorming. But what I do is I write on the board, why mediation? And I go from one to another for them to come up with, and by the questions that I ask, I get them to come up with a list of reasons why they are going to agree today, namely why mediation. And the answer that I'm looking for is that they are the decision makers, that they have certainty of outcome, that they keep the children out of the process, that they're going to get closure, confidentiality. Obviously, the whole process is confidential. Uh, Keep the cost down. Time, uh, obviously, is a lot shorter than going through a litigious process. And also, a very good example uh, for the children as to how to resolve disputes. Mm -hmm. Because most people come in my room, Nick, with a huge sense of guilt. Mm. Um, Guilt, am I doing the right thing? How is this going to affect the children? Uh, You know, a lot of people stay in marriages for longer than they wanted to in many cases because of the children, because they feel it's in the best interest of the children to stay as a family unit, when in fact it can be very destructive to the children to be in a family where there is conflict. And passive aggressiveness is conflict. Yeah. Even if it be silent. Yes, go ahead. Well, it just it, we didn't, I just need to pause for a break quickly, but I, I want to point out something that when, when you gave me that list, uh, Beverly, of things that you do, how they are the decision makers, they have the certainty, it seems like you're really empowering them, which sounds like one of the things that the passive-aggressive person otherwise might feel they're lacking. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And what I'm trying to do the whole time is I'm acting as a fulcrum. And I am trying to keep the equilibrium in the room because Mm -hmm. each party comes into the room with very different beliefs of what their strengths are. Sometimes I have attorneys who are obviously getting divorced or a CPA. Um, But I need to try and keep an equilibrium in the room and I make no assumptions and no judgment calls on people's behavior. Because if I ever go down that route, I have lost my credibility as a neutral. 
Right. You know, this is. It's. I'm so glad that we're having these discussions. Um, I, when I, you know, when I was starting my career in family law, you know, many years ago, things were a bit different, and now there was not as much research and not as much known about different uh, models for mediation and alternative dispute resolution. So I'm glad we're having these conversations. We're going to pause quickly for our first break. I have an event to tell you about coming up in June uh, from the National Association of Legal Investigators, and then we'll be back with Beverly Tarr, and we'll talk a little bit more in depth about managing passive-aggressive tendencies between spouses and how conflict uh, and resentment build over time and where we, uh, you know, how people got to to this divorce and maybe we can save some marriages out there. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, anyways, uh, coming this summer, I want to let you know about the Nally Conference. All attorneys and legal investigators should uh, listen up and jot down and save these dates here. June 7th through June 9th, it'll be in Chicago at the Hotel Avenue Crown Plaza. Again, June 7th through June 9th. It's the National Association of Legal Investigators and it's National Conference to celebrate Nally's 45th anniversary. Presenters at this event include Cynthia Heathering Nick Augustine, Andrea Lyon, Todd Throne, Jed Stone, and representatives from Dynamic Safety LLC and Reed and Associates. Attorneys are encouraged to attend this event, and as always, the presenters for this NALI conference are the best of the best in their fields, and you will learn how new information uh, is out there that you can take home and put to use immediately. Presenters are going to be balancing criminal, civil, and general litigation issues to best educate everyone attending, uh, as well as NALI members and attorneys learning learning more about working with NALI. Uh, Nally trained certified investigators, um, as well public defenders, paralegals, and uh, other legal professionals are encouraged to attend this event and learn more. If you'd like more information, you can direct your inquiries directly to the office for Nally, which is, again, the National Association of Legal Investigators at area code 517-372-1500. Again, that number is 517-372-1500. Again, June 7th through June 9th, the Nally 45th anniversary uh, convention here in Chicago. So, back to our show now with Beverly Tarr and our first uh, our first segment, Beverly, we talked a little bit about identifying passive-aggressive behavior, some of the forms it takes, and how you work with people in mediation to get from A to B without um, without problems. And I know that it's a process and system that you work so well with. Uh, now, my question is, what do you do when managing passive-aggressive tendencies you're seeing between spouses uh, that come to you and are thwarting the mediation process. Again, you had mentioned uh, the list of how you empower, you know, you have them brainstorm and empower each other, and that's a, a good step. What are some other things that you've encountered in mediation um, as far as dealing with some of these behaviors? Well, passive-aggressive behavior, um, in the same way that any kind of um, behavior that I'm dealing with that can sometimes try and derail uh, a mediation needs to be dealt with uh, in a way that is respectful of both parties. Uh, I do say at the beginning of, of mediation that most people don't come into these rooms and lie. They just don't. They come with their own perception of the reality of the situation. And when parties realize that and really absorb that, it is so much easier for them to get from A to B because it becomes less about he's doing this, you know, to deliberately hurt me. Maybe this is his perception. 
because with passive-aggressive behavior, they um, will often feel the victim, often feel the victim. And what I will do is in terms of the mediation process, I will always, after I have done my brainstorming session with the parties, I will then speak to the parties individually. So, and, and that uh, individual session is also confidential. And what I do, um, and, and this obviously experience is, is a wonderful tool in recognizing particular types of behavior, but I discuss with them very frankly and openly about what has gone on in their marriage, even historically. And the reality, Nick, is people are very open with me. Uh, maybe that's uh, the environment that I set up. Maybe it's the way that I respond to people. But they are very open with me. And I do not, obviously, by the fact that I am the objective third party, I've not got the history. I'm not subjectively involved. Mm. And because of that, they don't, there's not the same kind of game playing the verbiage isn't the same. You know, people can often say, oh, that, you know, he or she is very difficult. And most of my clients are extremely charming right. with me. And, and they are able to articulate um, much better when they don't feel, and this is true of, true of all of us, if they don't feel that they're having to try and prove something. Right. So once I've got them off the notion, look, I am the mediator and I'm not making a decision. You don't have to convince me of anything. I'm just trying to get you from A to B. And unless everything is on the table, and this is a completely transparent process, you're going to get an agreement that you're not going to follow through with. And you're going to find yourself either back here or in court. Right. So what we need to make sure of is that we can identify what are your needs and interests and the best interests of the children and be wholly realistic about it, look at the options, and again, test the reality of those options. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, I had someone come in here who was a um, surgeon. And um, the first thing he said to me was, I want joint custody of the children. And I said, okay, that's fine. What do you understand joint custody to mean? Now, this is not a conversation that I would have in front of the other party because I'm not there to show up anyone because it won't work. Power games have been played way before they enter in the rooms of the mediation. Mm. Um, my, job is to, the, 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 my job is to help them to understand what are the decisions that they're making and if, if they've understood it correctly and want to follow through with them, that's fine, but don't labor under a misapprehension. So I said to him, what do you understand by joint custody? And he said, I want the children 50-50. And I said, well, joint custody relates to health, education, and religion. Are you referring to parenting time? He said, yes, I want the children 50-50. <laughs> so I said, okay. And explain to me what the reasons are for that. And he said to me, well, my parents got divorced. And my dad saw me every other weekend. He was what I would call a part-time parent. And he never came to any event at my school because he said he didn't know any of the other parents and he felt an outsider. He said, I want to be able to drop my children off at school 
every day so I don't repeat what my dad did. So I said to him, okay, so is it that you want 50-50 or is it about the connection that you have with your children and the school? And he said, it's about the connection with the school and the children. So we're identifying the need and interest. We're not, as I call it, trying to split the baby. The, the notion of, I want this percentage or this percentage. That should never be a starting point. The starting point should be, what are the needs and interests of the parties and the children? And so once we'd established that, I said to him, what time do you start work? He said 6.30. So I put 6.30 up on the board. I'm very old-fashioned, Nick. I have the flip charts. <laughs> I um, love it. I love it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really old school. And when it comes to financials, I'm really old school on that. I do Venn diagrams, bar oh, I love charts. I said Venn diagrams. <laughs> a Venn diagram. I bet you haven't heard that for years. I talk about Venn diagrams all the time. Are you kidding? Oh, how funny. <laughs> How funny. Well, I need, to, I need to help people understand it. And people understand things in different ways. Right. Sometimes they use percentages, pie charts, ratios, bar graphs, Venn diagrams, whatever they need to understand. That, that's what's important. But going back to the 6.30, so he said, well, I start at 6.30. So I put that up on the board. And I say, what time do the children go to school? So you can imagine the writing's on the wall here. Um, he said 8.30. So I put up 8.30 and I just sat in silence and I said, uh, okay. And we were there for a couple of minutes and he then said, this isn't going to work. And I went, okay. Uh, he said, oh no, I've got an idea. I'm going to ask the hospital to change the operating hours. So that's when the reality testing comes in. I said, okay, how long have you worked there? He says, 15 years. I said, in the 15 years that you've worked there, have you ever known them to change the operating hours to fit the timetable of a divorcing <laughs> surgeon? He says, no. So I said, so what's the percentage chance you think that you have that the hospital's going to change it? He said, maybe 1%. I said, that high? And he went, no, you're right, they're not. I said, okay. So let's go back. Back to what your need and interest is. Your need and interest is the relationship with the children, the connection with the day-to-day -day activities. You see, he's working out of fear, which is another emotion I deal with mostly in this room, guilt and fear. And he's working out of fear. My children are going to be taken away from me. I'm not going to be a good father. Um, I'm not going to be connected in the way that I want to be connected. So we have 6.30, 8.30 up on the board. He's already established he can't drop the children off. He's, he's done that without me saying a word. We've already worked through, unless he's going to change his job entirely, which he didn't want to do, that this was not going to be an option for him. But then I said to him, when do you finish? 2.30. When do the children finish? 3.30. Again, we sat in silence. Suddenly, <laughs> light bulb goes off. I could pick them up. Great, I say speak to the wife she said that works perfectly so it's a really good example of someone coming in with a want and saying this is what I want I want 50-50 well actually that's not what he wants or she wants what he wanted 
with a good relationship and a close relationship and a day-to-day working relationship with his children and not to emulate the relationship he had with his father. Mm. And, And that is so important. And the way that you get that, Nick, is by listening, active listening. And this is a skill that's used by mediators the world over. Um, Active listening um, contemplates that the mediator doesn't only listen, but reflects back thoughts and feelings without making judgments. Um, and And I do that personally by changing tone or inflection or the speed of my speech, Um, can often help in getting the party to hear or think about an issue differently. And uh, another process that we use is something called reframing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that phrase. Um, But in mediation, a a mediator will often rephrase, um, or the term we use is reframe, sentences or phrases so that they're more palatable and more likely to be heard and understood. And um, hopefully it helps people look at it in a more open-minded and, and hopeful way. Yeah, well, and if, if you look at just writing, the, um, I know that when I write my columns and I'm writing anything, I will get the autocorrect that says passive tense, re, you know, reform your sentence, and you get a more powerful meaning. Completely, completely. I mean, I was a, uh, I was a barrister in, in London for, for many years, and uh, the, you know, when you presented to a jury, and I did hundreds and hundreds of trials, when you present to jury, you know, you are using completely different language um, because the language and how you phrase it and frame it is just so powerful. Mm-hmm. And if you think it, how powerful it can be when you are in an adversarial capacity, imagine how powerful it is when you're sitting as a mediator and you are able to take something that's inflammatory and you are able to take out the inflammation but not lose the the essence of what is being said because what is very important is that you don't um, take something from someone, some words from someone and dilute them or reframe them that actually what they're saying uh, what you repeat back to them is nothing at all about what they've said. Because if you do that, you run the risk of them saying, you, have, you, you weren't listening to a word I said. And, you know, there are times where you, what is important is to recognize an emotion and articulate it. Again, this is a, a mediator's technique. You, someone is expressing um, something possibly in an angry way, You'd never say, I understand that you feel angry, because if you ever said, you know, I understand that you feel angry, there's every chance that you're going to lose your impartiality. There's, there could be, the person could think you're having an empathy right. for, for their anger. What you would say is, I hear that you are angry. Now, most of the time, they turn around and go, you're right, I, I am angry, and the reason I'm angry is this. <laughs> Sometimes... You may say that they're angry, and they'll turn around to you and say, no, I'm not. I'm upset. And as a mediator, what's very important is that you leave your ego at the door, Mm -hmm. and you say, 
you're, you're absolutely right. I apologize if I, um, you know, suggested that it was anger. Um, what you're, what I'm hearing is that you are upset and you give them that. This isn't about one-upmanship. And your your time to, because sometimes people come in here with unrealistic ideas and they will often suggest that their attorneys have... You're kidding. In, in divorce, I know. <laughs> Unbelievable, isn't it? You just... Um, but I, I, the, the attorneys always get a bad press on this because whenever right. I reality test them on it it's always apparently the attorney's fault um i i've had people say to me no my attorney told me i never have to pay child support and i uh, what i'll often do in those situations um because in order to adopt my process nick as you know you have to have uh, an attorney you don't have to have the attorney present but you do mm -hmm. need to have an attorney because um I'm not allowed to give legal advice right. because to do so would undermine my credibility once again as an independent third-party neutral. Mm -hmm. And without that credibility, Nick, I'm, I'm nothing because the reason that I'm able to get people from A to B is because they truly know that I am invested in, in acting as a third-party neutral to help them identify their needs and interests and get something that is realistic and in the best interest of the children because people that I have come in my room, they all adore their children. Right. And and, and I and, and they love their children unconditionally. And this this notion, you know, I have people say, Oh well, she doesn't love the children or she that's simply not that's, the case. What happens right. is they they can often act out in a way that they are incredibly embarrassed and ashamed about. But they have got themselves in this quagmire with their communication with the other spouse, and they just don't know how to get out. Right, right. We're going to pause. We're going to pause, if you don't mind, for a short. No, uh, sure. We're kind of running over. Our, I'm just going to uh, cram our two last things into one instead of three bakes. We'll just take two. That's fine. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more and focus on. Uh, you know, spotting these spotting these behaviors in the children, and um, you know, trying to you know nip those in the bud, so to speak, because it gets it gets if it's if it goes unchecked, uh, you know, these behaviors become adopted by the kids. They get older, it manifests itself in all sorts of crazy ways. So we'll be right back after a couple quick messages here. I want to let everyone out there listening know about the new uh, combination offer by the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine. There's a new super low price. You can find more information at lawbulletin.com forward slash combo. For a limited time, Law Bulletin Publishing is offering a special one-year subscription rate of $159, which is 43% off the normal subscription rate. Plus, if you act now, you'll receive a free one-year subscription to the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, which in itself is a $60 value. So subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin by April 30th, 2012, and you'll receive the Chicago Lawyer for 2012, uh, and you'll save $180. Now, in addition to daily coverage from the Daily Center, Federal Courthouse and the Illinois Supreme Court, the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin includes several points, and I'll list them. One, profiles of corporate counsel, lobbyists, legislators, and judges. Two, case summaries and analysis, including Steve Garmus's trial notebook. Three, sports law stories. Four, transactional law stories for non-litigators. Five, daily insights and trends, including comings and goings within the legal community. Sixth, 
comprehensive Collar County court call coverage with the recent additions of Will and Kane Counties and 7th. More stories and photos from those Collar Counties. Again, visit lawbulletin.com forward slash combo to sign up for this offer that expires April 30th, 2012, and you'll again receive Chicago Lawyer for 2012 for $180 savings. All right, uh, next message. I want to let you know a little bit about the ProServe PR Marketing Consulting Program. Um, from solo practitioners to larger law firms, managers, we receive invitations to present lunch and learning workshops for the benefit of transactional and litigation attorneys who want to know more about using digital media, public relations, and marketing opportunities to leverage their achievements and contributions to further their career and engage new clients and referrals. Again, referral marketing is so important in today's day and age. Um, There's a a large variety of options that you can choose out there when getting your name out, and we like to come in and do our lunch and learn sessions for that. You can call me to learn more about that at 312-505-2604. That number again for ProServe PR Marketing is 312-505-2604. Now, returning to our show, we want to quickly remind our listeners to share our broadcast links in your social networks. Many people find our shows on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages. And we thank you all for your support in sharing our programming. Now, back to our program with Beverly Tarr. We talked in our first segment about identifying passive-aggressive behavior and its destructive um, nature. talked about, in our second segment, managing passive-aggressive tendencies between spouses, uh, particularly in the mediation process. And third, uh, we'll talk a little bit about children um, and then recommendations and best practices. So, Beverly, again, the children are who I fear the most. I've seen uh, friends of mine growing up who have passive-aggressive parents, and they start exhibiting these behaviors, and sometimes they don't know when they're doing it, and I'm afraid it's going to cause them problems in school, work, and everywhere else in life. Well, I think I think you're very right, and I, I do remember at the presentation, you, you and I uh, uh, agreed on this, Nick. Uh, unlike when someone hits someone and the child is able um, to know from a very young age, he's told, don't hit someone, that's wrong. Passive-aggressive behavior is very difficult for a child to identify, and it's very subtle, and the children can act it out from a young age and be oblivious to it. And it can be expressed not just at home, but at the school. And it can be expressed not just in the, the mumbling and, and the, um, uh, you know, the obstructionism and all things like that. It can also uh, manifest itself uh, as a defiant pattern. Um, and the reason for that, um, it, it involves a, a reaction to perceived um, domination, basically. And, and the child becomes rebellious. So in answer directly to your question, what can one do? Um, The first thing is to recognize the warning signs. And usually um, either you would have noticed it from your your spouse because uh, it's likely that this has been, this behavior is reflective of someone else's behavior within the home environment. So you recognize the warning, warning signs. Then secondly, as a parent, you must refuse to engage in it um, in, in terms of you have to manage your own emotions. You can't become angry or riled by their behavior. Um, and then thirdly, as I said, um, what I do in mediation is you need to point out the anger directly when it's present in a situation. 
because passive aggressive people will bury that and they will try their anger they will bury and they will show it in different ways so the anger needs to be um identified and it needs to be brought out and and finally when you've made the anger overt that has been covert for for however many weeks or months expect the child to deny it the child is likely to deny um that it's anger but simply by sharing your awareness of this covert anger, you've made it clear to the child and sent a very powerful message that this that you're obviously cognizant of it, that you've you're aware of it, you are uh, not prepared to allow that behaviour to continue. That simple act of identifying it and bringing it out is 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 huge in getting this child to try and address this problem. So I think in terms of what can one do, I think those may be helpful to any listeners. And I'm just, can we talk a little bit about the potential uh, dangers and, oh gosh, you know, you see kids troubled in school and it just, it seems like it, can very easily come back to the parents. I you know, let's talk about this. How much of you know when you talk in mediation, you are dealing with the parents only, correct? Or do you talk I, I, with I the am kids? and I say that I say that recently. My my mediation process, I do not allow the children to be mm-hmm. part of the process. Now I I know some mediators do. I do not for a very good reason. I do not want those children to think that they are part of the decision making. Uh-huh. I do not want those children to feel that they, because what happens if they make the wrong decision? Mm. Are they going to then work out of guilt? Mm-hmm. And and much of what the the whole point of mediation is that they're the decision makers, not the not the court. That they need to be the advocate on behalf of their child. And and I think I'm in a slightly. I know people say, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're a divorce mediator. That must be so hard." But I think actually my job's slightly easier than other mediators because I have a common bond. I have a bond that in most litigious situations you don't have. I have two people in the room who are going to agree on something. They agree that they unconditionally love their children and they want what's in their best interest. Now, they may not agree on what those best interests are, but they unconditionally love those children. And what I'm saying is make sure that they're the decision makers. Now, only on two occasions have I ever had the children in and they were on separate occasions when the parents weren't here. They were children who were uh, the parents had expressed one had tried to commit suicide and one was at risk. And I got them in here just so I could get them to go and see specialist counselors. And, and you say to me, I mean, I, my job as a mediator is to resolve conflict. I mean, I have people who come in here and I, they don't get divorced. I, I send them off to um, specialist family therapies, therapists. I also often, as part of my agreement... I want to give people tools so that they are able to co-parent effectively. And that will often require a change in their communication. So I will have them uh, agree to go to family therapy for a certain number of sessions. I will often have them agree to go to individual therapy. Um, If if it's a high-conflict situation, I will make sure that drop-off and pick-up is hopefully going to occur 
somewhere where the child is not there, is not going to witness anything. So if it's very high conflict, drop off and pick up will happen at school. So the parents don't have to see each other. I have parents who say, well, you know, if there's a problem, I'll just call you. But we're dealing in very high conflict situations. And my question to you, to them is, have there been occasions where you've picked up the phone to make a phone call with the best intentions and it's ended up in a screaming match? And they go, yes. And I said, and has the child been present? And they say, yes. And I said, is there a chance that that's going to happen again? And they go, yes. Because it's, at that stage, it may all be too new. They haven't learned a different way of communicating because they haven't worked through with a family therapist how best to do it. So I, as a mediator, who wants to ensure the best interest for the child, because I know that's what the parents are wanting, maybe their communication has to change. And if that means that they are um, less involved with each other, not the child, with each other, then so be it, until they are able to communicate on, um, on a very different level. And that will, again, take time because people usually come in my room and they are at very different emotional stages. Usually one person checked out of the marriage uh, a significant period of time before the other one did, if they have indeed checked out mm. of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you were talking about the, the, the child. There's um, a great quote that I often say to my clients. It was by St. Francis Xavier. Um, who said, give me the child until he is seven and I'll give you the man. And, and bearing in, in mind our parents in the first seven years or formative years are usually our greatest, greatest influence and role models. It appears that you know, that phrase is often borne out in many cases with uh, passive-aggressive parents or parent. Um, that's where the child has learned that behavior. And so what I hope when they come into the mediation, is that they, when they leave, that they are going to adopt a different form of communication. And and me saying to them, can you just stop shouting at each other, isn't going to cut the mustard. It's not going to work. Um, If it was that simple, they may still be together. So what they need is often third-party agencies. There's also um, uh, been developed over the last 10, 15 years help organizations like, I, I know I've mentioned these at presentations, but ourfamilywizard.com and allaboutthechildren.us that have been specifically designed for parents who are getting divorced and it's on the web that they can go in and provide information to each other. Also Google, Google Calendar I often use, <clears throat> whereby one parent will input the information from the school uh, portal. A lot of schools now have portals, uh, websites, where they give the information for the whole year as to mm-hmm. what's coming up. And if something comes up in a backpack, they can put it on the um, Google Calendar or any search engine, info.com, Google, Bing, it doesn't matter. That Most of them provide these facilities. And what I'm trying to do is to say, look, Right now, your communication is not great. So let's not try and assume that the other person is going to have a personality metamorphosis. Let's try and put in place some checks and balances whereby we don't get ourselves into these positions. 
And that's no reflection as you as bad parents. This is just recognizing this is a very difficult time for you. Because what I'm then doing is I'm not putting the child in the middle. I'm not allowing the child to become the messenger or the conduit or anything like that. I'm giving them outside agencies who are specifically designed, whether it be the websites or whether it be um, a third-party therapist, family therapist. There's a great organization called Families in Transition um, who have psychologists, child psychiatrists, psychotherapists who are specifically um, trained to deal with families going through the transitional period of divorce. And with that expertise and the commitment by the parties that at least they're going to follow through with attending these sessions, that's a great start for them because what they're both doing again is they're agreeing. They don't have to agree that the other one was wrong or that they were right. They just have to agree that they're going to try this as a place to um, learn to communicate differently. Beverly, we have I'm gonna we have a caller on the line. Should we take this caller and say hello? Sure. Let's see who's here. Caller, you're live, go ahead. Hello? Okay. Um sometimes people call in to listen as well. So no caller. Um <laughs> no problem. So we have so those are a lot of great resources. Can we have those websites again so people can take sure. notes? Sure. Um ourfamilywizard.com all about the children dot us. Uh the organization which I believe they've got one in Skokie and Evanston is Families in Transition. And and what you need to look at and and again it's very important to have resources. What I try to give my clients are resources. You know, as a divorce mediator and someone who is specifically trained in conflict resolution, I am not there to try and solve all their other issues. I'm there to get their divorce or their conflict resolved. But I am, I, I don't believe, uh, unfortunately, which happens in the um, litigation process, they go through the divorce process and they're left to their own devices. I want to give them resources whereby they are actually able to co-parent effectively because I'm dealing with people. I once had someone come in here and said, I don't think we're a candidate for mediation because we don't communicate. And I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute, you're getting a divorce. I mean, I don't have people who come in here who are fabulous communicators with each other. They can be great with other people, but not with each other. And, and my job is to say, look, I can't change that behavior, but what I can do is I can point you in the direction of certain tools. And in the short term, while you're going through this very traumatic event, which it is, regardless of what people say, this is extremely traumatic um, for the parents and indeed the children, I can give you some respite or at least provide these checks and balances that, you know, to stop you maybe losing your temper on the phone, I won't put you in that position. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll also have things like telephone communication. We'll have a set time when someone's going to call. And if 
that time isn't available, then they'll text or email them. I've also had people where sometimes they've sent over 100 emails in a week, and there needs to be a limit on that. Um, just recognizing and having a third party who they trust, and trust is huge. Uh, you know, people need to, to feel a rapport with me. Uh, and I always say to them when they come in here, it's important that both of you want to work with me, not just one, because it's not going to work. You need to both want to be able to work with me because I give them homework and I ask them to do certain things that I need them to follow through on. And I need them to understand that I am here because they want me to be here to help them get from A to B, whatever B will look like. And mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not for me to decide. That's not for me to decide. Um, that's for them to decide. If they want to get back together or if they want to go um, choose a parenting schedule because of the special needs of a child, that's up to them. But my job is to say, look, these are the options. You've chosen option A, B, and C, and, and this is where they'll lead you. Sounds like there are so many wonderful processes and how mediation I the more I learn about mediation the more I understand why this is such a good thing for people who do have uh passive aggressive spouses or people they're dealing with uh and so much of that what you've shared with us this afternoon Beverly is um different ways that the mediation process at least the way that you do it helps us avoid the angry smile so to speak so um as we say goodbye can you give us some uh information for people who would like to contact you and find out more about your mediation process certainly my website is www.certified-mediator.com that's certified, C-E-R-T-I-F-I-E-D, hyphen or dash, mediator.com. Uh, and they can call me as well on 312-659-0190. And my email address is btar, that's B-T-A-R-R, -R, so B-T-A-R-R, -R, again, at certified, hyphen, mediator.com. Thank you very uh, much for having me on. I enjoyed myself. Oh, thank you so much for being our guest and uh, talking about this very important subject. I'd also like to thank all of our listeners out there for tuning into this episode of Law Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe PR Marketing and with support from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our legal industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips, tools, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With our guests and listeners located from coast to coast, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine from Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.